1: That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Dr. Richard Chambers. Richard is a clinical psychologist and internationally recognized mindfulness expert. He regularly consults to businesses, educational institutions, and community organizations, At Monash University, he's leading a world-first university-wide mindfulness initiative, embedding mindfulness in the core curriculum. Richard is the author of three books and numerous peer-reviewed journal articles, and has conducted a TEDx talk, and regularly features in mainstream media. Richard, thank you so much, mate, for coming on my podcast. I've known you for a long time now through various projects. Love the work you're doing, always love chatting to you, so I just want to first of all say thank you. Yeah, Yeah, thank you, mate, but... Um, look, I, I know how busy you are, so I want to. I appreciate you making the time to just come and have the chat today.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it.
1: Um, so before we go into the questions, um, I always ask the guests, just can you give a bit of a, and I know you've done a lot, so just more of an abbreviated background, but a bit of an overview about um, where you've come from and how you've sort of gotten to where you are today and the work that you're doing.
0: Hmm. Well, my life's been defined around mindfulness, basically. And I started practicing that in 1999 so particularly in this new wave of secular evidence-based mindfulness that's that was c- pretty early on actually and I was just transitioning from my second year into my third year of uni uh, I was at Melbourne uni doing an arts degree with a psychology major and to be honest like I just had not been engaged at all for the first two years of uni I was d- Mm. So, sort of had some low-level depression and anxiety, and just just was really struggling to, to fit in um, and to be, and to engage. And I um I start, I started meditating just by chance. I mean, I, I I decided I wanted to sort of sort out my um my mental health issues, and so I started doing a whole lot of what we now call lifestyle medicine. So I got really fit. I started prioritizing sleep, making sure I got my seven to nine hours, started eating really well, became a vegetarian at the time, but just really got my diet good. Um, and, you know, that all helped a bit, but I just, I just started, I, I, I stumbled upon this meditation class. It's, it's really, it's one of those we're talking just before we, um, before we kicked off in the podcast, you know, having a chat about luck in life and meaningful coincidences. And there've been so many of them in my life. And, um, this, this friend of mine, this old family friend named Will was heading along to this, um, this meditation class one night and just asked me if I wanted to go with him. And back in 1999, you know, we hadn't really started talking about mindfulness yet. There were no apps, there were no podcasts on it, there were no books on it. So you had to, if you wanted to learn meditation, you really had to kind of dig and go looking for it. And I ended up in this Buddhist meditation class, um, and, this guy started to talk, this this guy had, came out in front, this teacher, he'd been a monk and he, he de, uh, disrobed and he, he was like a, um, you know, just a regular guy now. And he came out and started talking about, you know, human psychology, but in a totally different way to what I've been learning about in my lectures. He was talking about like in a really practical, simple way about how the mind wanders off and gets caught up in judgments and self-criticism and worry and stuff and, and how, how that's the source of all of our suffering. And as he describes it, I'm like, that's exactly what's happening in my head. I'm constantly caught up in that stuff. And so so then he said, right, well, let's do some meditation because what you need to do is to actually be more present in your life and not have your mind running around like a a wild animal. And one of the best ways of, of creating that as a possibility is to train your mind with meditation. So I started doing mindfulness meditation in that class and my mate, Will, never came never went back. He just went to once and he's like, yeah, whatever. But I was like, dude, this is awesome. There's something in this. So I just kept going every week. I used to drag friends along sometimes. I'm like, you gotta come check out this meditation thing. It's awesome. And they'd come for a couple of weeks maybe to humor me and then they'd be like, "No, nah, not for me. Cause it was just kind of early in the game, but I stuck with it and just, you know, started to like get a daily meditation practice going of like, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day and started just to feel very quickly, feel a whole lot better and also be way more focused at uni. Like I could just sit in lectures and absorb the information. I could study more effectively. My grades went up. It was really cool. And so it became a massive part of my life. And then, um, yeah, then I went traveling, just, you know, finished my arts degree. And like most art students, I'm like, well, you either do a PhD or you go and travel. <laughs> you know I mean? So I was like, well, I'm not, yeah. not ready for a PhD. I'm just, limp, you know, struggling. Yeah. I, mean, I did well in third. You did really well, actually, after I started bit like meditating. But um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I was like, look, I'm not going <laughs> to sign up for another four years of this. But I went backpacking and did a lot of retreats and really went deep with my practice And then, you know, meaningful coincidence number two, I was in India and I just walked into a bookshop and just pulled out a book and it was on the neuroscience of meditation. It was one of the early books on, you know, Western psychologists and neuroscientists having dialogue with Eastern meditators, primarily Buddhist meditators in in this book. And I went, oh, mind blown. Like, I want to do that. So I came back to Mm -hmm. Melbourne and sought out a, a supervisor. And back then, man, 1999, like you're trying to find a supervisor to, to help you do it, like to, to do a research project in, in meditation. And everyone was looking at me like, what well, are you crazy? It'd be like trying to, you know, find yes. a supervisor to do a, like a research project in telekinesis or something now. People would be like, <laughs> yeah. what? But anyway, I eventually bugged the shit out of this one guy you know, at Melbourne Uni called Nick Allen. Because I, cause I asked my friends, I was like, eventually I gave up trying to find someone who'd let me do it in, in like study meditation here. So I'm like, I just need to get to the States. I want to go, yeah. I want to go work with John kabat or Richie Davidson or one of these massive figures. And so I just thought, right, well, I've got to, I've got to knock this out of the park then. I've got to do so well in honours to, you know, to, to get, you know, accepted into America to get a scholarship because how am I going to fund it? So I started looking around for the, the, the supervisor who was going to help me get the best grades and all of my friends kept like saying this name, Nick Allen, Nick Allen, like all of your students get H1s, you know, high distinctions and So anyway, I bugged Nick and he's like, look, I'm overcommitted. Can't take you on. It's not going to happen. But I was just, I I kept at him and eventually he's like, right, look, dude, come in. I'll have a chat with you. I'm telling you right now. I'm not going to take you on. I'm over, I can't literally take on any more students, but I'll refer you to, you know, someone who might be able to work with you. And I walk into his office and he's like, so what's the deal, dude? Like, why are you so like, why are you harassing me basically? And I said, look, I really just want to get to America. And I've heard that you're someone who could help me get there. And when he asked me why I wanted to get to America, I said, all I want to do is meditation research. I just want to start like study meditation and no one's doing it here. And he looked at me Mm. and he's like, I literally, like Nick Nick said to me, I I literally two months ago started the first mindfulness study in Melbourne, in Australia. It it was at Origin Youth Health in young people. It was mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So there's just been all these like coincidences. It feels like I'm really meant to be doing what I'm doing. So I did that. Got in, got heavily involved in the research. Got into a clinical degree. Um, so I'm a doctor of clinical psychology now, and developed an interest in therapy. And so now I've created a sort of I, I split my time between doing mindfulness based therapies with you know individual clients, working in education. Like I get into all the schools in Melbourne, all the universities, and you know around the world now really who are all interested in mindfulness and mindful education. Work at Monash. Um, we're embedding mindfulness in the core curriculum for our students and um heaps of businesses as well like every business around the world now seems to be interested in like performance and resilience but also you know mindful leadership and boosting eq and things like that so quite busy just doing the mindfulness thing and it's really come from my own personal experience i'm, I'm very sort of invested in that
1: yeah no i mean it's it, thank you for sharing that it's an amazing story and um, what I love about it is the fact that, like what you said, you um, found this interest in it and you stuck to it and you did it before this was a trend. You know, 1999 it was sort of not, not a thing now. Every second person knows about mindfulness and is wanting to learn, but I love the fact that you've done it properly and stuck to it and you've, got, you've, you've skilled yourself up and you're qualified and you've, you're, a, you're also a, um, I think it's pretty rare to have that blend of um, you've got the clinical side but you've also got the communication side and you speak publicly about it and you're a good communicator and do that side. So combining those two is really effective and, you know, we need more of that because it's so important to get these messages out there. So I think it's really interesting, but um, I think another point for anyone listening, what you were saying before about, you know, you had these little things that kept unlocking when you were following that passion that just kept you on that path. And I think for anyone, it's like if we feel something inside ourselves that we, really want to do, um, you know, you've got to just take a bit of a chance and follow it. And then you find little, little sort of pieces of the puzzle along the way that guide you. And um, it's having the confidence in yourself to follow that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a super interesting story. Um, What, so what would be one of the, I mean, it's been a interesting year this year (laughs) with COVID. Um, What (laughs) I'm sure you've, yeah. Like everyone, it's been, um, you know, a very different year. What, what's been, in your work, what has been one of the biggest things you've seen sort of um, come up as a topic, um, a common topic with clients and just yep. in general, I guess, in mental health, what's been one of the biggest things? Yeah.
0: Well, look, at, at risk of perhaps alienating some of your listeners, <laughs> I,
1: I've had an awesome COVID.
0: I've had, a, I've had one of the most powerful years of my life because of the enforced slowing down and you know the removal of distraction and busyness, it's allowed a focusing of my energies on what's important. So I've done a lot of meditation, including at home meditation retreats this year, I think I've done like 12 days of meditation retreat just at home. All the teachers in the world are dumping their stuff online oh, wow. and like people that I couldn't go and see because they were on the other side of the world. you know they put all their stuff mm. online. I've worked on my relationship a lot, like with my partner, like, you know, we, de- we developed a mindful relationships online course together, um, you know, applying all the strategies and tools that we use in our own relationship. And then we're like stuck in the same house you know, and, and, and the universe is saying, oh, you think you're good at relating? Well, let, let's just <laughs> lock you inside for six months and see how good you are. So we had to kind of really grind that out and we're in a really good place. And I've just been doing, you know, strategizing my business and thinking about how I can inject more depth into it and scale it. And, it's a, it's a, and so you asked about a pattern in my clients and the people I work with. I'm seeing there are two types of people. There are people who've really embraced it, embraced this new opportunity and have taken the time to really focus in on what's important. And they're actually doing really well. They've set themselves up beautifully. They've either come back to what's important and life's a bit simpler for them or they've gone really big and gone like well hang on a sec, like what I was doing before stopped has stopped working. Like even a friend of mine I was having dinner the other night just she saying she's a naturopath mm-hmm. and like overnight all of her clients vanished. And she's like, Oh my god, what am I gonna do? So she moved her business online, she left the clinic she was in, just moved it online, figured out how to promote herself and, you know, do sort of social media marketing and has generated a business that's now thriving with exactly the kind of people that she wants to work Mm. with plus she can work remotely she can go work in bali and, and and live life how she wants so there's people who have had that kind of experience and then there's people who who seem to just be kind of waiting it out like they're just kind of doing, they're waiting for things to get back to normal or they've, you know, or they've been watching a bunch of TV or I don't know what, what other people, you know, yeah. just sort of trying to numb yeah. the, because it's been a tough time. Like I'm saying, you know, I'm saying it's been a, a powerful year for me and a lot of people I speak to and it's sucked. You know, it's been a yeah. lot that's been super hard. I mean, getting locked in your house after 8pm in Melbourne. I mean, that's, that's a big thing, right? And And of course, you know, the instability and the uncertainty and lost a lot of income and so that's been really challenging and so if you can sit with the discomfort of that and stay focused on what's important, you're going to go down one path and if you can't deal with that and you're just kind of waiting for it to end and maybe distracting yourself or numbing yourself with your TV or substances or shopping or food or something else, um, that's taking people down a very different path and so that's that's one of the biggest sort of trends that I've seen.
1: Yeah, which I think, would you say that's an analogy just for life in general? Because like COVID obviously is an extreme example, but we're faced with challenges and adversity and uncertainty all the time in different ways. And we can either lean into it and look at it as an opportunity to grow and test ourselves and, you know, find new things, or we can, you know, bury our head in the sand and just distract ourselves and, you know, avoid it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's sort of an opportunity where, you know, we people that like yourself, where you're saying you've grown through it because you've made that choice to lean into it. We all can, and it doesn't mean it's not hard, no. but that's, that's life.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's true. It really is true that it's a, it's a broader sort of pattern. It's just, and it really, I mean, it's, it's intensified things, the whole COVID experience, but it's, it's, it's not, you know, disconnected from from what's just happening generally in life. I mean, we know, you know, we talk about in positive psychology and in business, we talk about grit, you know we talk mm. about you know savoring the positive, we talk about the importance of values and purpose and living a life of alignment. Like we recognize that that that's the source of really good uh, you know really good resilience and, and and a meaningful life. And on the flip side, you know we 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 talk about it you know experiential avoidance or you know if if, if you if you're avoiding experiences, that's one of the biggest predictors of uh, mental health problems, you know hiding away from mm. life or Also disconnect, disconnection, you know, if we're disconnected, you know, from things from, you know, from from our bodies, from each other, from the natural world, if we're disconnected from a hopeful future, from meaningful values or meaningful work, all of these things are big predictors of mental health problems. So I think the more, Mm. the more connected we are, you know, connected with ourselves, others, the world and purpose right? And the more we focus our time and attention on what's actually important, generally, I think that that the healthier and more resilient we are.
1: Yeah. And the thing we were talking about earlier was, you know, that disconnection and what you're seeing a lot of um, people where they're not connected with their body, they're not feeling things in their body, and they're more just pushing and striving for success or striving for the next thing or whatever it is. Um, How big of a issue is that and what what are some of the things you're seeing through that
0: that's one of the major patterns that i see in people that i work with because i I, I do a lot of coaching uh, as a psychologist i do a lot of coaching and sort of therapy work and so i talk to a lot of people who have you know like the you know the the classic presentation for like for some reason i'm attracting now into my coaching practice a lot of entrepreneurs you know like really highly successful um you know driven people who are, are kicking goals but you know, they've got heart problems or they've got relationship problems or their body's giving out or, you know, there's something that's making them stop yeah. and take a breath and say, Hey, what something must be out of balance here. And the main theme in all of my work is uh, the, the, the way I think about it is, is through a lens of connection and disconnection because people are disconnected. I mean, we know this, you know, where we, you know, mm. technology and the way we live is increasingly disconnecting us from ourselves you know, people, people have a lot of trouble sitting now and just being quiet. There always needs to be a screen or a podcast or, <laughs> or something, you know, like all constant stimulation. And yeah, it's one yeah. thing to listen to a podcast because you actually want to hear the information and you're like, and you got a long drive or something. But if you constantly got something playing because you can't be with yourself, that's not a good thing. It's really not a good thing. And so there's that disconnection from self you know people don't feel their bodies properly so we don't notice when we're tired we don't notice when we need to rest we don't notice the effects of the food that we put into our body or the substances that we put into our body not fully anyway and if you're mm. listening to your body it's going to tell you immediately i mean my partner is one of the most naturally mindful people i've ever met it's 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 inspiring how embodied she is like she'll eat something and You know, she'll feel it and be like, no, it's not good for my body. Doesn't eat it again. Doesn't drink alcohol ever. Like when we first met, I'm like, can we like from time, she's Italian. And I'm like, what the hell? Can we we (laughs) from time to time have a glass of wine with dinner or go out for a cocktail on a rooftop bar? And she's like, look, to humor you, I'll do it. But she did it one time with me. And she's like, you know, it just doesn't feel good in my body. So I don't want to do it. And that's inspiring to me. Cause i'm i'm probably like i'm not you know fully disconnected from my body like I listen to it, but that that's the next level, and a lot of people aren't listening to themselves in that way, so they're not noticing the signals their body's giving them they don't want to be with discomfort, so they can't handle like un, like you know unpleasant emotions. but a formula yeah. for life is that unpleasant emotions equal unmet needs. This is some of the deepest psychological work I do with people anytime you're feeling afraid, sad, angry, disgusted or ashamed, there's some correlate, there's some unmet need underneath. Like if you're feeling fear, mm. you know, whether whether you're feeling it directly like fear or you're feeling kind of anxiety that you feel unsafe about something. And if you can if yeah. you can be with the emotion, you can start to sort of ask yourself, "Hang on, what's I've got an unmet need for safety here. What am I feeling unsafe about? It might be physical safety, relationship safety, might be financial security, job security." Could be some existential thing. But when you can recognize it, you can start to work with it. Anytime we're feeling sad, we're disconnected from something important. So if you if someone comes to me with depression, I'm like, okay, depression, let's think about it through the lens of chronic sadness. You know, it's just one way of looking at it. But you yeah, know, yeah. what if that were chronic sadness where you're just feeling sad and you've forgotten what you're feeling sad about and you just feel hopeless about ever not feeling like that? But what if we all just look at it through the lens of like Sadness equals disconnection from something important. What are you disconnected from? Are you seeing your friends? Are you getting into nature? Do you have a life of meaning and purpose? And if you don't, of course, you're gonna feel sad. So then, all right, how do we reconnect with those things? And etc. etc. So the more we connect with ourselves, the more we listen to ourselves, honor our own emotions, honor the signals that our body's giving us, the more we connect with meaning, with purpose, with other people, with our community, with nature, I mean, all of these things are really good predictors of good mental health. So that's the work I do with people. It's, it's just helping, you know, whether it's individuals or whole groups or companies or schools or whatever, just how do we connect people with themselves again and, yeah. and, and, and help them live, live lives of connection and meaning. And that's, that's for me, I think the, the source of true resilience.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I guess it, a lot of the time it becomes we're using those vehicles. I'm, you know, if I achieve X or do this thing, then magically this inner problem will disappear, and you live your life according to that sort of um, idea. Mm. And then you, people can spend decades doing it and running themselves into the ground and become highly successful, but still they're um, trying to. They're pushing back that that feeling mm. and, and trying to avoid it, which it's it's a weird thing. So it's sort of, and the thing I always struggle with is because I've had problems with that, and then it's sort of grappling between, oh, but I want to try and achieve a lot, but then how do you still try and be ambitious mm. and push yourself? And you know, and we're in a world that's so competitive, and yeah, you, you sort of have to to a degree. Yep. To, you know, you, you have to be online using technology, you have to be competing with different things, but. Um, it's, yeah, you, how, do, how do you sort of um, find that balance between the two with making sure you're doing the right things for yourself while doing that?
0: Well, again, you just have to listen because your body is, some part of you is always telling you if you're in or out of alignment, in or out of yeah. balance. Look, all the research tells us that if we're extrinsically motivated, right? If we're, if we're, if the, if we're chasing success, let's say, because, you know, because we want the validation and the recognition, or we want the material game, we want the money and the lifestyle. That's a big predictor of, you know, negative mental and physical health outcomes. And it also just doesn't really have meaning, you know, ultimately. Whereas like intrinsic motivation, you know, like take an example of, let's take an example of a student. Extrinsic motivation is wanting to get good grades. So then your parents will be happy with you. And intrinsic motivation is like, I love learning. I'm going to pick subjects that I'm interested in and I'm going to give them my full attention so I can get the most out of it. And I mean, right there you can see which student's ultimately going to be the happiest and probably be the best performer over time. I mean, oh, if, sure. if we're just chasing good grades, how long can we keep that up for? Probably some period of time. But if we love learning and we're doing things that inspire us, it's obviously just different. And same thing yeah. in, in business or entrepreneurship like you and me, you know, where you know, if we're doing things to get money or or status or fame or if external validation, it's just empty in the end. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I talk about like I talk about the heart and the whole with my clients. Like, if we believe that we're lacking in some way, like, and this has been my own personal journey, and I suspect you might resonate with this as well. Like, deep in the core of every person, we feel like we're there's an insecurity that we all have. We ignore it and deny it and bury it and whatever, but we all feel like we're not enough or we're not lovable as we are or there's something wrong with us. They seem to be the three flavors, inadequacy, defectiveness or unlovability. and 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 the big joke about humanity is every single person has this on some level at the core of their being. Everyone listening to your podcast right now has this. Now, some will be going, yeah, you're naming something that I know is true. And some of them will be like, no, that's not me. Like, what's this guy, you know, what's this guy talking about? But, you know, we, we all have this. And, that, and so because of that, we, like, we, don't, we don't want to feel it. We don't want to show it. So we bury it yep. under layers of shame and denial, which means when one of us is triggered in it, like any time, you know, before I went through this transformative journey of, of self-compassion and mindfulness and self-love, any time I felt insecure, I'd look around and everybody else looked like, looked like they had it together. And so I'd I'd feel really alone and different and separate and inadequate. And I'd be like, oh, there's really something wrong with me. Why can't I just kind of get it together? So then I'd push myself to be more charismatic, to be more successful, to be more of this and that, trying to kind of Mm. fill a hole at the core of my being, like prove to myself that I'm enough, prove to everybody else that I I have worth. And it's when I discovered the self-compassion literature, which is kind of an offshoot of the mindfulness movement, the self-compassion movement where they were talking about this basic truth that we all feel inadequate or defective at the core of our being. but we, it, but, and, and if we can't embrace that, that's going to cause problems because then we either get lost in... Some people get lost in that. Some people, when they feel in, yep. in, insecure, get lost in the story. I'm not good enough. Everyone's better than me. They tend to spiral into depression and go into freeze. But more commonly, I mean, people like you and me and, and the people I work with in my coaching practice they compensate for it. Alright, I'm not yeah. enough as I am so I need to make myself enough. This pattern gets set up super early in life, right? When mm. when parents focus too much on our success or we somehow get a message at school or from our friends that we need to be great on the sporting field or super good at spelling or maths or whatever it is to get that recognition because it feels good. And we don't realise mm. how superficial that is. So we get in this habit of performing and doing things or being helpful and kind and whatever to try to get that external validation and so then we play this game of compensation that's being in the hole you know but like there's a hole at the core of our being and then we're Mm -hmm. trying to fill that hole with success and external validation and it's an unwinnable game because I mean how much success do you need to once and for all trust in every part of you that you're enough you're never going to get there.
1: Not possible. Not possible. No,
0: so, no. so being in the heart is different. Being in the heart is realizing, you know, this is human to feel insecure. And that's so okay. I'm just a human being. One of the three components of self-compassion, according to Kristen, Christian, uh, Kristen Neff, is um, common humanity. You've got mindfulness, like just being present and not getting lost in the thoughts and the, the feelings, just staying present with yourself. Self-kindness, replacing that self-critical inner voice with self-kindness just being reassuring and affirming of yourself and then common humanity realizing that we all suffer we all have stress Mm -hmm. all face difficulties and as I've said we all feel somehow just like there's something wrong with us at the core of our being and it's not that that makes us separate from other people that when you really get that it's like oh that's just I'm just being a human being. and so when we, when we relate to ourselves in that way and, and to that, like those, those parts of us that feel insecure, we tell them they're okay or we reassure ourselves I'm enough, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm okay as I am. When we really start to believe that, it's like we feel full and I, and I gesture mm-hmm. here because somehow it's, you know, it's, it feels that you feel it kind of here in the heart and when you feel yeah. full in your heart, it, that's, that fullness starts to overflow into the world and, you know, and that's, and, and everything you do is just an expression of your own kind of fullness and an and expression of your deeper purpose. And so that's being in the heart.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, well, so, so many things that you've, you know, that I love that you've said there. I think there's sort of so many offsets that we could talk about, but it's, it's so true. And I think it's one of the things with this podcast as well that I've tried to do. It's um, just interviewing different people and different celebrities have, that have come on and opened up and talked about, their own personal battles, and I think it, it, it's that kind of thing that you're saying, where we all feel these things, and where when we're suffering, we tell ourselves the narrative that what's wrong with me? Why am I so weak? Why do I find things so difficult? And everyone else can cope because we're, you know, we're just looking at one lens of that person's life. But when people, when we can just realize, you know what? It's okay. It's part of life. We're going to feel like that. Everyone struggles in their own way. There's so much comfort in that, um, and everything else you're saying. Um, if we're Tying it to trying to just you know get that validation all the time, um, the very few people that can sustain that will just be miserable <laughs> um, that's right Or the people Trump's around them will be miserable <laughs> even more miserable yeah yeah trump Trump would be a good example yeah. he's like taken it he, he's he has achieved almost everything you could imagine but and there's no stopping, so I mean he should be able to relax now, but he he can't stop so, nice. so there's it's a it's a real mental illness um but then if you can find that balance i guess your example is such a good one that um you found mindfulness more than 20 years ago and because of the passion and the interest in it um you're you've kept pursuing it and you've had success and you've achieved things in it but it hasn't been because i need this end goal it's because of that curiosity and that keeps you engaged in in what you're doing and um, I guess that's the next question I wanted to ask how how important is it for us to find um, you know what we truly value and live by that mm-hmm. and find purpose in life because I know for myself um, I had so many mental health issues in my early 20s and a huge amount of that was from I didn't know what I actually cared about and I didn't really have that meaning or purpose and when I found that it changed everything because it meant well I know what I'm trying to what I want to you know the mark I want to make on the world every day and even if things don't go my way I'm I know that I'm still working towards that and no one can take that away from me so it's that very empowering sort of feeling would would you say that's something that is important that most people for for everyone to sort of start to look into in
0: my experience it's one of the most important things to have a sense of purpose and meaning and and ultimately I think to go beyond ourselves as well because if our purpose in life is to be successful you know, then we're very focused on ourselves, and am I succeeding? Am how am I going? And it gets very tight and egoic, egotistical. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, just one little failure or setback, and we just you know that's that's that that's it. Or we double down, and then we try even harder, and maybe we burn out or alienate people around us. Whereas, you know, having a sense of values, I mean, along with the meditation that I started doing. I started getting really into, you know, wisdom traditions. Reading up on things like, you know, Taoism and particularly Buddhism. I'm really interested in the ideas there, because when you, if you meditate properly, I mean, there are different, different way, different types of meditation. Even with mindfulness meditation, you know, it's just about, it, it's it's about paying attention. But you know, there are different ways of doing that. You know, some people just, most people practicing mindfulness are just focusing their attention. I say just. I mean, it's powerful focus your attention and, and learn to concentrate. So rather than have the mind running around like a wild animal, you keep it on the breath. And then when you open mm-hmm. your eyes, you can focus on work. You can focus on, you know, playing good sport or whatever it is. So that's that's where a lot of people are practicing. But, you know, when you really follow these practices to, to where they're, they're really trying to take you... I mean, mindfulness these days, when I meditate, I sit and I just allow everything to be as it is. Uh, John John Kabat-Zinn calls this choiceless awareness practice. Researchers call it open monitoring or open awareness. So you go from Mm. that focused attention to this open awareness. The way to practice it is to rest your attention really lightly on your breath, and at the same time be aware of and welcome all of the sensations and emotions in the body, all the thoughts as they come and go, the sounds, the experiences, allowing everything just to come and go without getting lost in it, without reacting to it, without getting caught in it, just just experiencing it and allowing it. And when you can allow everything just to be as it is, then you start to become aware that as well as all the things that are constantly changing, there's something that's not changing. Like right now, I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you on the screen and, and I'm, as I look in your eyes, there's something that's looking through your eyes right now. You, what you're seeing is me and the screen and things that are changing, but there's something that's looking. There's, there's something that's aware, that's, that's listening through your ears, you know, for your listeners on the podcast. There's something that's, that's hearing these words that's not the words. I mean, there's just an awareness that's here. And when you turn your own kind of awareness back on itself and start to pay attention to that, you start to realize there's something that's not changing and it doesn't come and go and it doesn't take any effort to maintain at all. And when you start to really kind of like meditate on that and get to know that part of yourself, you realize that it's always there. And for me, that's the, that's the like, in a sense, I guess that's the most resilient thing that is like in me is the thing that's not changing. That no matter what happens, there's a part of me that's always going to be okay. Yeah. And yeah, and, yeah, and the yeah. mindfulness literature is funny cuz John Kabat-Zinn got that on a very, he must have been a deep meditator. You know, he is. I've mm-hmm. met him. Like he's a he's a legit meditator and he's he's understood that there's an awareness there. So when he started working with chronic pain patients in the late 70s in Massachusetts, like <clears throat> these people were getting lost in the experience of their pain, resisting it, fighting it, judging it, reacting to it, you know, whatever. And so he taught them to allow the pain just to be there and to realize that there's something that's aware that's not lost in it and, and, and to come back to that sort of bigger awareness. So the pain is happening within that awareness. Or so when, you know, when I meditate now, I sit and I just allow everything to happen without getting lost in it. And that was profoundly powerful for those people, you know, as they learned to relate to their pain in that way and have a sense of a bigger context in which pain was happening. It made it a lot less sort of overwhelming and all-consuming. And then it's interesting because like Jon Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness is the awareness that arises when people pay attention without judgment in the present moment, right? So you pay attention, stop judging, allow everything to be as it is. And then that awareness is here. Oh, there's something that's looking through my eyes and feelings through my body that's not changing. But unfortunately, in 2003, um, a woman named Ruth Bair uh, wrote the first, me- like did the first meta-analysis of mindfulness studies. Her paper's now been, because it was the first meta-analysis, like big review of all the studies, her paper's been been cited 9,000 times last time I checked on Google Scholar. And first sentence, mindfulness is paying attention. Like she just didn't get the awareness bit. She dropped that. So she said, mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment and so mindfulness mm-hmm. suddenly w- went from being getting in touch with something that's ultimately really resilient to being like oh i just got to focus just got to pay right. attention to focus so it sort of it, it really kind of limited things and yeah. and so part of what i do is try to help people to actually you know to, to realize that there's there's something that's not changing and if you can be i'm not sure if this lands at all with any of your <laughs> listeners i hope it'll it resonate with some of them because that's that's ultimately what mindfulness points towards
1: yeah yeah. No, well, I mean, it, I think it's so important that you're talking about that because it's and understanding that no matter what I feel or what emotion comes up or, you know, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And knowing that we've got that, that sort of, um you know, that, that stability in ourselves regardless, because that's where all of these anxieties or so many of them come from thinking, Oh, you know, I'm so overwhelmed with this yeah. emotion that I'm not going to cope. I can't get through. Yeah,
0: this. that's right. and And your question was about purpose and meaning. And yeah. so, to, so to link it back in with that, like when you stop being kind of like when you stop being caught up in your limited egoic self and there's this sort of dawning of this kind of, you know, this, this recognition that there's something much bigger that's always here, you know, then you yeah. start to realize that, hang on, everybody else has that same basic awareness. Like I know on some intuitive level that what's looking through my eyes is the same as what's looking through yours. It's just awareness. It's not my awareness and your awareness. I mean you're your own person, you've got your own experiences, your own life history. You're experiencing something different to me right now, but the thing that's experiencing that is kind of the same. And when you start to drop into that, this is what the this is what the wisdom traditions have always pointed to. When you start to drop into that and realize your inseparability and interconnectedness with everything in life, other people, the everything that's something really shifts, you become much more compassionate. You know, your mental health is so much better when you realise that connection and live a life from that place. I mean, climate change right now is doing a really good job of making us confront the fact that we're not separate to the earth. We can't yeah. just do what we want with no repercussions. Like, we're intimately related with that. And if we continue to make certain choices around fossil fuels and whatever, you know, that's 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 having an impact. So... It's calling us back to a connection with the earth, I mean that's really I think ultimately what it's what it's trying to help us do you know it's it's saying hey you're you, you're a part of a bigger system here, and if you if you recognize that and and live your life according to that recognition, things are going to be more in balance
1: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. and so and, and so that meaning and purpose I think comes from a deep connection with self, you know that's been my experience that as I've connected more with myself and, and with like, what's life about? Well, maybe it's about obviously, you know, being pro-social and being kind and helpful because, you know, if your suffering is in some way kind of my suffering, like, you know, you feel that, like I feel that it's true. Like, you know, it someone who's homeless or sick or whatever. I don't feel separate from that. It feels like that's somehow could be, I mean, it could be me. It's one way to think about it. But it kind of yeah. is me. Like, it's because it's we're somehow the same. And that's, yeah, that just gives a real meaning to my life and, and being able to teach things like this. Because what I'm talking about here is kind of, for me, the most meaningful thing that I could possibly say today.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, there are lots yeah. of
0: different ways to talk about mindfulness. It'll make you more resilient. It'll help you focus at work and be more productive. It'll help you on the sporting field. If you're with your partner or your friends and you're really present with them, you're going to have better relationships. And when you start to realise the awareness that's always here, somehow, I mean, you know, it's given words like awakening and enlightenment and stuff like that. think it's all kind of like esoteric and shit, but it's it's awareness. Mm-hmm. And there's an awareness mm-hmm. that's always here, and if we can be present with that throughout the day, every day, things just don't affect us in
1: quite the same way, you know. They don't have the same impact. In- no. There's not that many, and there's not that many things day to day that are that drastic that we have to you know worry about obviously there there will be you know our health family friends you know there'll be there are big things that are important but a lot of the things we worry about aren't actually that big of a deal than you know in day-to-day life um and how, how important do you think it is that um people start to learn and educate and practice these kind of things earlier in life because i think the problem a lot of the time is where Taught all these negative habits, and like you were talking about, you know, when we're a kid, we we win a running race and we're validated. Okay, that's you know, you're going to get love or um, attention if you keep doing more of that, and then it, it fuels that thing, and then it's so hard to undo and like mm-hmm. change that down the track. Yep. Um, how, how do we? How does that change over time? Is it just mm-hmm. more of like what you're doing and talking about it, educating people, getting these messages out there? Um, because that's the only way I can see it changing on a, you know, global level, Mm. um, long term, if people start learning this stuff really early in life. And um, yeah,
0: I think it's true. And so it's really, it's beautiful to see, you know, the teaching of social, emotional learning in schools, particularly, I mean, I can't speak for the whole world, but I know that like Australia and probably Western countries, and I imagine a lot of countries now are teaching basic emotional intelligence, sort of, you know, social, emotional skills to, to young people. You've got not-for-profits like Smiling Mind, who I've, I've been involved with over the years, you know, like getting mindfulness and, and SEL into schools, you know, positive psychology, the positive education movement. So there is, there is a sort of an, an initiative underway trying to help young people learn some of these basic skills and tools. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. society kind of needs to change a bit to support that people need to be okay with, uh, with their own vulnerability. You know, Brené Brown is a flag bearer for vulnerability and how without the ability to be vulnerable, we can't really connect with other people. Cause you know, if we're yep. disconnected from that insecure part of ourselves, if we are like, don't want to know about that part or we judge it or we, or we try to compensate and, and get external validation and intrinsic, you know, motivation, mm. like, uh, uh, like, You know, if if we can't if we're not living a life of connection with ourselves, we can't connect with other people. This is this is the work I do in relationships, my own, and when I work with people. You know, like if we're not connect if we're if we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, if we're not loving and present with ourselves, particularly with our vulnerability, we can't really be present and loving with anybody else's vulnerability. I mean, can't be. You know, it's just it's just not the relationship we have with ourselves is the relationship we have with everything. And so yep. it's important, I think, that parents and educators start to do some of that work themselves. You know, it's great that we're teaching stuff in schools, but, you know, if but our parents and, and key figures, and it's great to hear about the kind of people that come on your podcast, you know, and then drop to their vulnerability athletes and celebrities and, you know, who are, all this. Like, because the more people do that, and model and embody the, you know, the ability to be vulnerable and to show that that's actually not only okay, but it's a strength because mm-hmm. through that willingness to be vulnerable is connection with self and genuine connection with others. And as an extension of that is true resilience and, and meaning and purpose and, you know, intrinsic motivation, all those good things. And so the more people that sort of embody that, the more people that talk about it, that do the practices and do the psychological work because it's not easy. But you know, it takes cycle, It takes a lot of work to be radically accepting, to use Tara Brach's term, radically accepting of our vulnerability and our humanness. Right. I mean, yeah. it's so we need we need. I mean, I, in, in my more utopian moments, you know, I sometimes imagine. You know, how good would it be if you had? You know, those really inspiring ads on TV. I remember when we had like the Commonwealth Games or something, Commonwealth Bank had this thing and it was this young girl lining up on the starting blocks, young woman and her country town, everyone's crowded in the one pub. You know, they're watching on this little TV in the corner and it's all this big build up and then it like, then it cuts and it goes, what happens next doesn't matter. And then it somehow is like, you know, it's build these emotions and it's like Commonwealth Bank supporting your dreams or whatever. Imagine if you had ads that just cut at that point, whatever happens next doesn't matter. You know, imagine if we were just constantly receiving the message that vulnerability is a strength, Mm. connection with ourselves is the foundation of living a life of well-being and purpose and and meaning and, you know, contributing to others and altruism and all the things that on some level we know are true, but we just neglect. You know, imagine like... Absolutely. so, So I think it's people like you with your own journey and your willingness to just to be vulnerable about the screw ups you've had in your life and how that's helped you become a better man because of how you worked with it. It's, you know, having people like me on to be able to talk about like m- my journey, having all the people that come on. it, It's these kinds of conversations, I think that just make it okay for other people to be vulnerable. You know, yeah, and when, yeah. when successful people, perhaps like us, you know, we say, you know, we feel insecure, like, you know, I feel, I feel really, I'm very successful and I feel really deeply insecure. And part of my yep. journey was I, I, I got into meditation. I built a whole life and career around teaching mindfulness, you know, and I was like, and I lived under the illusion, oh, I could never burn out doing this cause it's too meaningful. So I started working like 16 hour days and seven, you know, six, <laughs> seven day weeks for a while there. Cause as I got more successful and known and. Suddenly, I was just doing this thing I loved all over the town, all over the world, basically. And rah, 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 like all this stuff. And then I started burning out. And that was amazing because that made me stop and say, how can this be? Ah, oh, because I'm still trying to prove something.
1: Mm-hmm. Still
0: with all, you know, even though it's mindfulness and mental health and I'm a psychologist, still trying to prove to the world that I'm enough. And that was a wonderful blessing, the adrenal fatigue that hit me was this wonderful blessing to make me say, well, I can't keep going like this. I mean, my body was basically saying to me, you can't actually do this anymore. You know, you, you'd it, have yeah. to, I mean, I was already on like two double <laughs> double espressos every day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> double ristretto, the magic coffee was my thing. And I was on to two of them and considering my third... And, yeah. and, you know, then I was thinking maybe there are other substances that I might need to keep myself going. I'm like, I'm not going to live that life. That has no integrity. And, yeah. and, and so it's been and that's been a wonderful journey in the last few years of just And I'm still in the middle of it of slowing down and reconnecting with what's really important and doing things because of the because you know, as a gift to humanity, wanting to help other people, not wanting to prove anything. And that's, yeah. that's a tough and it's a, it's a hard thing to do. It, like you probably need a coach or a psychologist or someone to
1: support it's you It's a through tricky that. thing. It's such a tricky thing. Cause it's like, um, it's that fine balance where, um, yeah, you can feel like, Oh, but I'm, you know, changing the world and I'm doing all these things, but I'm killing myself in the process. But, um, finding that balance and putting yourself, your health first, putting, I mean, it, people that are, um, helping other people often, they're not looking after their own health and well being. You have to, look at it selfishly or I don't, it it's not selfish. selfish it's, no. it, people would say it's selfish, but you have to put yourself first. If you do that, then you can project the, you know, the best version of yourself onto the world and, and, and you can help people in a much bigger and more authentic way because you just, you can't do that if yeah. you're um, pushing yourself to that degree. It's no, not, it's not sustainable. That's
0: right. It's so true. I mean, in Buddhism, we like, every time you meditate in, in, in any Buddhist lineage at the end of the meditation, you, you, you make, It's called dedicating the merit. So you make a wish that may this meditation that I've just done and whatever good arose from that in any way, shape or form, may that benefit all beings. So it stops being about you and your meditation and you getting enlightened and you being blah, blah, blah. Like it's other beings. But it took me a while for me to realize that, oh, hang on, I'm one of those other beings. Because for a Mm, while I was like, I've got to help everyone else. I'm exhausted. Yeah, but there's people that need help. You know, that kind of like self-sacrificing yeah. kind of mentality and then and then I was like you know what I'm one of them so I need to include myself in that circle of compassion and yeah, if yeah. I'm burning myself out that's having that's, that's not going anywhere good so if we're too focused on other people's needs you know that's another pattern I see all the time with my clients people doing things for others and neglecting themselves that's not it too focused on ourselves that's our friend Mr. Trump right like too too focused like on self you know and that's just you know at its worst is narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder but even just along the on the along the way that's the source of a lot of our problems things get really tight and we take things really personally and so it's realizing again that inseparability if we can drop into that and realize you know i and all beings may we all you know be happy (laughs) may we all be well And what can I do in this moment to contribute to my own well-being and the well-being of everybody else? And realize that actually that's one and the same. I mean, that's when you really start to practice and live well is when you realize that's one and the same, you know, and the choices we make, you know, whether we buy disposable plastic and use it once and chuck it in the bin, you know, that's, we're connected with the earth. You know, that's, that's like, Mm. you know, I watch smokers now, you know, those rare smokers now, because it's so like, like, it's very hard to smoke these days. There's nowhere to do it but you watch them like sometimes smoking and chuck the cigarette butt on the ground. And you think like, I I used to think, how could you drop a cigarette, butt? it's going to go in the ocean. And, and then I'm like, well, if you can do that to your body, you can do it to the earth. Yeah. yeah. And if you, if if you, if you're no longer willing to do that to the body, you would have no cigarette, butt in your hand to drop on the ground and put in the ocean, Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't be doing that with other things as well. So
1: it goes full circle, I guess the whole thing. It's all every, everything's connected. And, um, and yeah, it just, yeah, hopefully one day we can, like you were saying with the ads, live in a world where instead of looking up to people that, you know, the most wealthy or famous people or whatever, you know, the things are that we're told, you know, capitalism, capitalistic sort of values, um, that the people we look up to, it's like we are the ones that are vulnerable, the ones that are living, you know, to their true selves. Imagine how different the world so would be if that yeah. was what we yeah what we aspire to
0: if we could all drop to our vulnerability you know when like my partner again aliza she's nat- just naturally better at me at all this stuff you know when we have an argument <laughs> when we have an argument she more easily than me drops to her vulnerability so she's pissed off with me but underneath she feels hurt and she mm-hmm. drops into that and then communicates from that place and it's just disarming you know if we could all do that
1: where can you go from there? It's like they're telling you, oh, look, that's hurt, that's hurt me. Oh, okay, I'm really sorry, what can I And heard? it evokes
0: Whereas... something in us, you know? I don't, yeah. want, I don't want her to be sad. If she's being pissed off with me, I'll just be pissed off at her. That, that happens all day yeah. long. I mean, that's called, that's your secondary emotions rather than the primary vulnerable emotion. We live lives of being caught up in secondary anger and frustration and stuff rather than dropping to the hurt or the fear or the insecurity. But when you drop into that and communicate from that place, it invites people to drop into their own vulnerability. And you know what exactly, advertising yeah. is always going to be advertising. It's got to it's got to trigger insecurities in us so they can make us so they can sell us something to fill that hole, you know, it's basically being in the hole. You know, it's, yeah. that's the whole advertising industry. <laughs> that's not going to change anytime soon. But when powerful people who, you know, whether it's celebrities or sporting figures or business people or like whatever, you know, when powerful people become vulnerable and drop to their vulnerability, that just makes it that little bit more okay for the rest of us. And that's why I love the Absolutely. work that you and I are doing. I really love people like Brené Brown who are just making that a possibility because I think that's, that's where the change is going to happen. It's people dropping into their vulnerability, connecting fully with themselves, which by extension connects them with other people and the world around them, the earth. And I think mm-hmm. that, that's, what, that's really where the change comes from.
1: 100%. So you asked me at the um, start about, you
0: know, the main thing that like the main message. It's a message of connection, you know, yeah, when it comes back to that deeply connected yeah. with ourselves through through our body and our emotions and our values and by extension
1: therefore with everybody and everything around us. Yep. Everything's already available to us that we need. We we feel like we have to do all these different things or be someone different or whatever it is to get that, but really if we can be vulnerable uh, we, and get the connection we want it's, it's there you know we can um so uh, do you have um well, I know you do but what, what are some things you do daily that um help you just in general um that we could share with the listeners
0: yeah every single day I get up in the morning and I drink a glass of water with lemon in it and then I meditate that's a, just a standard thing you don't need to meditate in the morning you can meditate before bed but every day If you wanna live a life of connection, you have gotta prioritize connecting with yourself. So meditation's a pretty powerful way of doing it. At the very least, doing some mindfulness to get it back in your body. If not, as I said before, meditating on the awareness that's always here. So I meditate every single day. Can't recommend that enough. Exercise, move your body. Just move, go for a walk. It doesn't have to be much. I've got some, personally I like body weight exercise. I've got gymnastics rings hanging from my stairs. You know, I do push-ups, squats, and pull-ups. Um, three sets of that, you know, <laughs> three times a week. Yeah. Like, not a, It's not a lot. Go for a run, go, ex- you know, stretch, you know, so move your body. Yeah. Get outside into nature. Go for a walk around the block, go to the park, try to get out in the bush. Go and be somewhere where there's not just geometric shapes everywhere, where there's irregular shapes and green and trees and insect life. Be out in nature so that's something else that I do every single day. I try to set an intention every day, you know, for what I want to do. I don't just jump into work. I certainly don't grab my phone and start like doing something first thing in the morning. I want to meditate and get some mental clarity. and then at least for a moment ask myself, what do I want to do today? What's my intention today? And that might be a global aspiration. May I, you know benefit and relieve the suffering of all sentient beings, or it might be something really practical, like, May I, you know, just be vulnerable on your podcast and, and, and hopefully mm-hmm. just, you know, embody that and make that possible for other people. So setting an intention like that. And then, yeah. and then the thing I'm working with at the moment is my sleep goes in and out of completely sucking. Like, it's right. probably one of the biggest factors that I need to work on. And so I have realized that your sleep routine begins the moment you wake up in the morning. A lot of people think, oh, half an hour before bed, turn down the lights, turn off the screens. You know, if you're even thinking about it at all, no, it starts the moment you get up. How do I need to live my day today, right? To not, you know, if I if I if I'm pushing myself, I want to impress you, I want to be 100% sharp and on. I've got to smash tea or coffee or be, be caffeinated, and I've got to push myself, and then I'm stressed, but I'm not noticing it because I'm so busy and distracted. And then I hop in bed, and I'm like, boo. I'm not sleeping
1: (laughs) for nuts. It's not going to work. It's not going to
0: work. So, And this is, again, that Elisa's really good helping me with this because this has not come easy for me. But like sleep, it's fundamental to life. So important. So important, yeah. And then the other thing I try to do is to eat well. I try to eat ethically and I try to eat stuff that doesn't cause a lot of inflammation in my body because I just feel a lot better when I do that. I'm not militant in any way. I eat meat. I went out for pizza last night. But I actually don't feel that great today. Like pizza and me, you know, I'm I'm basically married to an Italian. So I've got to make things (laughs) with pizza in some way. And it's awesome, you know, but it's not good for my body. So if I listen to that, I'm like, okay, today, drink a lot of water, eat some vegetables, eat some fruit, eat stuff that's going to bring that inflammation down. So that's also, yeah, also something important.
1: Yeah, definitely. Simplifying and looking at those things. But yeah, sleep for me, that's probably my biggest one as well. And we actually had a sleep expert on here and I couldn't believe how many people I had messaging and emailing and commenting on Hmm. that episode because it's obviously such a huge problem for so many of us. So it's um, something for anyone listening to this, you know, another area. It's it's sort of not about just doing, just meditating or just doing this or just doing that. We've got to look at all these different areas of our wellness and they all connect. I think, Um, yeah, the
0: more holistic you are, the better. Yeah. Yeah. But a routine, the routine is important, and that's your thing, isn't it? The healthy routine, and so maybe just pick Absolutely. one. If 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 all of the things I've just said, you're like, whoa, I don't do any of that stuff. Like I don't try to do all that at once. That's crazy. That's going to be way too, way too much. But today, go for a walk around the block, or sit and do five minutes of meditation. Jump on my website, download one of my free meditations. You know, Richard Dr Richard Com, or get Smiling Mind, or Headspace, or something. Or calm or ten percent happier and do a little bit of guided meditation, or reach out to some you know reach out to someone today who you care about and just have a moment of genuine connection with them i mean it 's it's about doing the little exactly. things but consistently Absolutely. doing those little things you know mm-hmm. it's the consistency that 's the key you know I, 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 do t- I do twenty minutes of physical exercise every day, twenty minutes it 's not much i don 't go to the gym, I do it at home, I go for a run, I hit my punching bag, I do body weight workout, I stretch and I feel great it just makes yeah. such a difference and if I if I neglect it I don't feel as good so it's, it's about just pick one pick one thing do it with any consistency I mean if we did anything with consistency our life yeah. would change that's the whole problem with humans oh. we're really inconsistent
1: <laughs> yeah and we want too much too soon if you were yeah. saying oh no I need to train for an hour and a half every day and I need to do this and do that and you're putting this pressure you won't sustain it but if you make it achievable and enjoy it and you know and like you're saying don't try and change everything at once pick one thing pick the most important thing yeah. that to you at that point and stick just to that once that becomes habitual then you're probably naturally going to think okay i'm feeling great what else can i look at changing or you might not even think about it you might organically start eating better because you're exercising and you're wanting to you're becoming more conscious about it so it all it's definitely about doing that um mm-hmm. and so we've got five closing questions that we finish every episode with um before i do that um where can anyone listening to this and we'll put in the show notes links as well but how can they learn more about you how can they download your programs or your books um, where can they go yeah, everything's um, like on said, my all... website
0: the, the, the probably the, it's the, all on the, the, website. the central point yep. so dr richard Chambers, dr richard com, has all of my uh, journal papers my books uh, i've got a bunch of free uh, like i said meditations i've got a link to my ted
1: talks so everything's there great all right. Well, we'll, we'll have a link to that in Wonderful. the show notes for this episode. So anyone wanting to learn more, um, go to the website. He's got a lot of amazing information there. So I'm sure you'll find a whole lot of things that will help. Um, so yeah, these, these closing questions we ask every guest at the end of the interview, these can be sort of, you know, one sentence or whatever comes to mind, really. Sure. they you know, just, they're just sort of short finishing questions. Um, so first one is, um, what's your best Childhood memory that comes to mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I wasn't really in my body a lot as a child, so I don't like. I I didn't lay down like a lot of people that weren't really inhabiting inhabiting their bodies don't lay down memories. So I don't. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of. I don't remember a lot of it, to be honest. Like my childhood. Um. Yeah, I, when I think about it, like my, my, my favorite childhood memory was probably like, probably moments where I was hanging out with my dad. I remember like I got when I was like five or six, I got like a plastic model millennium falcon. It must've taken three months to make that, but I made that with my dad. And I remember like just kind of doing that. So that was, that was kind of special. So, you know, like I, I remember that being a really important relationship for me. So that's probably that's probably what comes to mind when you ask
1: that. Yeah. No. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what What do you feel like is the biggest burden on mental health in society today? Uh, well, as I
0: said today, like the, you sort of said the it, yeah. yeah, I think the chronic disconnection yep. from ourselves, from others, from the world, and from meaning. That, I, in my experience, and people would disagree, probably some people, but in my experience, that is the fundamental issue with humankind so let's let, let's all work to to change that to to connect more deeply
1: um yeah and well on that note where do you see mental health um heading in the next 10 years do you see things improving on that level do you see th- some things maybe going more downhill Where where do you see it heading do you think it's heading yeah, in a positive way? way. Yeah, positive, I think, yeah,
0: I, I, I believe I so. Look, there are negative trends, like there has been, you know, increasing disconnection through, you know, living lives online and, you know, there's sort of so much pressure and stress and stuff. But at the same time, you know, there's been a... I mean, I'll speak about the Australian example. I know you've, probably, you've got a global audience, but I'll speak about the Australian example. You know, Medicare doubled the amount of re sessions this year, went from 10 to 20 which is what the research, that, yeah. most of the research actually says that for anything with any kind of moderate acuity or complexity, it's going to take 20 sessions to resolve it, 10s just never. Mm. So there's been, and that was for COVID, it was reactive, but, you know, like working from home might continue in some way and some of these bigger changes, perhaps that's a, a move in in the right direction and the, and the Royal Commission into Mental Health has also highlighted the lack of funding. And so so that all represents a... a um. Sort of an awakening or a realization that you know mental health is actually really important. Just because you can't see the mental injuries that people carry, doesn't mean it's not a real thing, and it, it's debilitating. Because you know the most intimate thing we have is our own mind and emotions, and yeah. so that's so that's that's. So I see that kind of moving in a good direction. You know, m- mindfulness has really become a huge thing, and the self compassion and all the other related things are finding their way into psychology, into training programs, and are being used and talked about and promoted in public forums. Psychedelic medicine is probably the next big thing that's happening. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but psilocybin and MDMA have both received FDA um, breakthrough treatment status. They've they've been seen as like, it's the first time in 40 years that any pharmacological treatment has been shown to be even remotely kind of different and useful for things like PTSD in the case of MDMA or um you know other things in the case of psilocybin so there are some interesting trends happening at the moment. So I, mm. I, I really I do feel I do feel quite positive about it. And people like you talking about this, you know, talking about mental health and just owning their own their own journey with it, I think is so it seems to be slowly moving in the right direction and, and I think picking up speed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I think yeah, COVID has really helped pick up that speed and and make it more of a topic in in society. Um, So two more here. What would you say is your personal definition of happiness?
0: Hmm. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's a great question. There is hedonic happiness where experiences and things make us happy temporarily. And then there's eudaimonic happiness, which is that meaning-based happiness. And that's the one I'm more interested in personally and more interested in talking about and helping other people discover. So I think a definition again, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but when we're deeply, deeply connected with our own inherent nature, right? I mean, one of the things that I've, I've realized is that when like, mind in its natural state, that awareness I'm talking about before, it's not a bland kind of like no positive or negative emotion, kind of awareness. Like when you're genuinely resting in your in your true nature, you're spontaneously happy because you don't need anything to make that happiness happen. Because everything's already happening in that awareness. So there's just a joy that arises. So that's it. Depends on how you define happiness, but in the way that, uh, in the most meaningful kind of biggest possible way, that's how I define it. It's just being connected with your own inherent nature. And there's a spontaneous joy that comes with that that doesn't require conditions. You know, we all have moments, we all have moments where we're walking down the street or eating some food and suddenly it's like, everything's just, you know, those moments where you just naturally, you just drop into the moment and and you might just be walking through the park and Mm. the leaves are falling off the trees and you're like, life is beautiful. You know, like it's nice. Everything just feels
1: right. Everything feels
0: right and feels really radiant and joyful. That's a glimpse of your, your, your true nature. This is where this is where meditation mindfulness it's all pointing there that's what it's about. It's yeah, not about yeah. being more productive at work it's about having moments like that and having that be your your you know continuous sort of experience of existence. So that's that's how I
1: define happiness. Definitely. And I'm, yeah I'm using the word happiness for all for the cuz I guess that's what we're taught in society and it's trying to debunk that I guess that you know ha- happiness normally it's about chasing a feeling or excitement or a drug like feeling, which it's not what it's about from what, you know, you've, you've talked about it so much in this interview. It's about that other side of it, of just being connected and looking, going from within.
0: Yeah. Well, hedonic happiness, the happiness that comes and goes, it's not a resilient happiness because you need more things. You need more money and the newest iPhone and more experiences or whatever it is. feel happy but there's a way more resilient happiness that comes from living a life of meaning and connection that just doesn't and that happiness doesn't change so that's obviously a better happiness (laughs) and the research backs that up every day of the week eudaimonic happiness intrinsic motivation
1: better happiness and 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 it's obtainable to basically everyone yeah well it's our inherent nature so you might yeah, you might be
0: deeply disconnected from it if you're President Trump or if you're someone who's really struggling somewhere, you know, not to diminish the actual legit suffering of a lot of human beings on this planet, but your inherent nature is that happiness and that that, that spontaneous joy they call it in in, in the wisdom traditions. And that's if you can rediscover that, you know, and you can, that's the thing. You'd be sitting anywhere any doing anything, and there's the
1: possibility of discovering that. So that's that's a very yeah. hopeful thing. Absolutely. Um, so final one here, um, most courageous thing you've ever done. I'm sure there's a whole lot of these. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The final question I've yeah. got here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear when you ask it like that. That journey of radical acceptance of my insecurity. Mm. You know, I had a massive breakup, massive. The The relationship before the one I'm in right now just imploded and i came out of that feeling really broken and messed up and just by a series of coincidences which i don't have probably a lot of you know time to go into right now but just things cons- the universe conspired to help me face that you know a friend at origin youth health asked me to make a, a module on self- on loving kindness meditation so i said yeah i'll do it but give me 3 months because i want to go deeply into these practices so I can embody them before I start making a module for, for you know, young people with psychosis. Like, I, don't, I don't want to get mm-hmm. it. I want to come from a place of integrity. So I was practicing heaps of loving kindness, which is making kind wishes, wishes for happiness and well-being for yourself and others. Discovered through that process, the, the, the work of Tara Brach and Kristen Neff and Brené Brown. And, and, and then, you know, I, I remember I found myself on a meditation retreat in Germany worked with these like party Buddhists that I used to hang out with where like they, they're tantric Buddhists. So they used to party and drink and hook up and, you know, it was wild. I mean, there were five, <laughs> yeah. 5,000 people camping on the side of a hill in, wow. like, you know, in, in Bavaria, like you know, getting Buddhist teachings during the day and partying all night. And I <laughs> yeah. had a moment, a sliding doors moment where I, I started to, I felt like, or I could you know, go to the parties because I knew the right people. I'd go to the parties, I could I could pick up, I could find myself a girlfriend, and I could just get back in that game of feeling good about myself through, you know, you know, external validation. Or I could not do that. And I thought to myself, what would it be like just to own my vulnerability and just to be with that for the first time in my goddamn life to actually just sit with that feeling of being broken? and not enough and insecure. And people would be, how are you going, Richard? I'd be like, actually, I'm feeling really insecure. I just said that for like, <laughs> you know, two weeks at this meditation retreat and just owned it. And it was like, oh, it was so hard to do. But that's been the most profoundly transformative thing that I've, I've done in my whole life. And that's, and it's also the bravest because that's, that's the brave work. That's one of the, probably the bravest things that, you know, when I see my clients go through that process, it's the thing that completely changes their life and it's the hardest thing to do and some of them just can't even do
1: it you know some people just yeah it's too much for now anyway yeah 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 well thank you so much for sharing that I think it's such an important point and a good thing to end on and it's you know it's often the suffering that then causes the biggest change when things like that happen and like you're saying embracing it and doing the hard thing you know i think people need to understand that this stuff is not easy it's going to be painful it's going to be hard you're going to have to confront things but if you can do that you're going to have so much more joy longer term rather than just continuing the suffering that's Um, right i mean
0: look it's only the hardest thing you'll ever do but but if you do it it's the thing that'll change your life
1: yeah forever well, mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I could chat to you about this all day long. Likewise, um, I'll come back anytime. Yeah, appreciate it. I love these chats. They're great. Uh, we'll like, have to yeah. we'll have to do a round two at some point. So yeah, but thanks for being so open and sharing and I've really enjoyed it. I know you're going to help so many of the listeners and again, for anyone listening, make sure you go and go to Richard's website and look up his work because he's doing some amazing stuff. So Beautiful. yeah, thank you, mate. appreciate it. Yeah, keep doing it. the work you're doing, mate. Will do, mate. Thank you. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Dr. Richard Chambers for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature?